The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at StandingStoneSupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. How do you feel great on vacation? Like, really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Dogs don't require ingredients, they require nutrients. And it all depends on, you know, how that's, how they're digestible and things like heat can have a tremendous effect on it. Have you ever shot a bird that just keeps on flying and you're standing there saying, I swear I hit that bird? Well, good news. Maybe it might not be you, but rather your shotgun. Go check out UplandGunCompany.com and construct the perfect shotgun that is not only built to your exact physical specifications, but your preferred looks as well. To some people, a shotgun not only has to perform, but look good while doing it also. Upland Gun Company has made this process super convenient and surprisingly affordable when you consider all of the completely customizable features. Get your shotgun order submitted today so you're standing there with your dog saying fetch, rather than standing there still saying, I couldn't have missed that bird. No two hunters approach the field the exact same way. That's why it's nice to have a vest that can be completely customized to fit your specific needs. Final Rise creates high-functioning upland gear that delivers comfort and balance that assists you chasing wild birds in wild places. The vest's unique lumbar pad and weight-bearing waist belt makes it too easy to keep going to the next horizon. Add in any of the awesome and functional accessories for the vest along with their new tactical apparel, and you'll be outfitted with a complete setup that was proudly sourced and sewn right here in the USA. Check out FinalRise.com to order yours today. All right, everybody, welcome back to another week of GDIY presented by Standing Stone Supply. This week, we are joined with Rob Downey of Animate. Rob, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, Nick. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm excited to have you on. You guys have been around for, for quite a while, and you your company Animate, which we're going to get into here in a second, you guys kind of cover the food and supplement uh, field a little different than a lot of other companies. So I'm excited to kind of jump in and and get into the weeds on that. But first, we have to start with you and and get to know you a little bit better for the listeners. Okay. I I think that's probably what separates us is the fact that I was born and raised with with working dogs, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. my parents grew up in the Depression, so you couldn't have a dog at the house that didn't have a job, right? 
If they're going to feed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I grew up with short hairs and pointers. Uh, we had a shooting preserve and we did field trials and always had a beagle around for rabbit hunting. And and uh, then I went away to college in northern Minnesota and um, took in a sled dog race and got hooked on the spot. In a young, poor college kid, I started to adopt these rescue sled dogs, right? So you're a poor college student and you still got hooked by the sled dog bug. <laughs> well, actually, it was the, in retrospect, it's the best thing that ever happened to me because I would take these rescue dogs that were cast offs. You know, you see that in every canine sport, I think. And then I would train them. And within a year, I was beating some of the people that originally bred them and they, some people had a hard time believing it was the same dog. And then one day um, I had my lead dog named Heidi, couldn't get out of her doghouse. She was dragging her hind in. And uh, of course that freaked me out. I rushed her to the vet. They diagnosed her with a selenium deficiency. And uh, so I changed her diet and her performance improved as did the rest of the team, right? So that was my aha moment, and that got me hooked into nutrition. I thought, this is really what I want to do. I want to work with dogs and explore all these avenues of nutrition. And um, and now, 40 years later, I've, I've realized that that was a misdiagnosis. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> having studied nutrition. <laughs> so, so 40 years of research and development and motivation, you come to find out it was a misdiagnosis. And so the, the being for all of that was, uh, was a mistake, I guess you could say, for lack of a better term. Well, I, I will give myself credit. It didn't take me all 40 years to figure it out. It was soon after I got into graduate school, I realized she wasn't selenium deficient, but that really changed my whole uh, life. I um, then changed my major, transferred down to Ohio State University. I'm originally from Ohio. And I graduated there and um, at the University of Pennsylvania School of Veterinary Medicine. They were looking for a graduate student to do some work in um, stamina and working dogs. And so they came out to uh, Ohio State and interviewed me and invited me out. And I ended up staying there for seven years. And that's where a big part of our work was done. In fact, some of that work is uh, still cited in the NRC nutrient requirements of dogs and cats. And people have said that that's really what sort of changed how performance in working dogs have been fed for the last 30 some years. So pretty proud of it. Yeah, we're definitely going to jump down that rabbit hole. I, I I need a little bit more information on these sled dogs and bird dogs growing up and, and all that fun stuff before we get into these weeds here. I, I got to ask, so what were you feeding the dog prior to the misdiagnosis? You know, were you doing just dry kibble or I know sled dogs, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Do, you, do they still do a lot of fish and fish heads and stuff like that? Well, I, actually, I was doing kibble then, okay. right? And, and and to be honest, that sort of uh, was the um, start of the whole thing. Up to that point, they actually <clears throat> thought in dogs, just like in humans, carbohydrate loading would work, right? Mm -hmm. When I got to do this graduate work with Dr. Kronfeld, we started to switch to a more meat diet and with higher protein, higher fat. And we found that we could increase stamina by 30% by altering protein, fats, and carbohydrates. And that's really what started it. So 
Yeah, before I started Animate, I was feeding about 50 pounds of raw meat a day. I was feeding, wow. I was feeding raw before raw was neat. <laughs> Well, and that's that's been kind of the the industry with sled dogs, you know. I mean, even to you know, I'm not a sled dog guy. I have very little experience. I've talked to a couple guys that, or a couple people that have done it, but uh, even when you turn on the TV or movies or anything like that, it's always showing just raw fish, you know, raw salmon or something like that being thrown at the dogs. I was wondering how accurate that was. Well, I mean, um, they actually consider the. Um, the term for sled dogs used to be genuine Alaskan fish burners, right? <laughs> I mean, part of that was, you know, that was what was available, mm-hmm. right? They were feeding what was available. And and one of the things that kind of uh, drove me crazy was we would we published this research that you could increase stamina by 30%, yet you couldn't buy a food that would that would perform, right? You had to make it up. And and so everybody had access to this research. And it wasn't until I started my own company that I really realized part of the problem is that these companies are, you know, trying to not worried about performance dogs and not worried about maybe using the best ingredients. And some of these companies aren't really run by nutritionists as they are marketing people. Yeah. So that's sort of that was my goal was that when I started Animate, I wanted to come up with a food that I'd never have to feed an ounce of raw meat again, because quite honestly, how hypocritical would it be that if I'm competing in races, that I'm using my diet plus raw meat? And that's really what we did. And so we were able to compete in the top level, as have many other people using our formulas. And so I want to hear your your experience, what you saw with your two eyes, how the dogs transitioned into the new formula with you and how their performance changed was it noticeable to the eye or was it just you, you could just kind of tell by the end of the race it's like hey they're they're holding on a little bit better well i think a big part of it is how they finish how they look you know that all comes into the equation and and, and you know if you're really into dogs like i'm sure you are and i and i am you can see the difference you can see how they're performing better. You can see how they're feeling better. You can see how they have more activity and and feeling good about it and and just happier. And certainly you can see it in their weight, right? Mm-hmm. They're maintaining their weight. Their coats are good. Their stools are good. And that's really probably one of the biggest changes in the pet industry over the last how many years is used to be 90% of the people that fed pet foods couldn't tell the difference from the best food in the world to the worst food in the world because they weren't worried about things like longevity and coat. And guys like you and I or people that are probably listening to this podcast are into performance. Right. So you can see that difference, yeah. right? And, and now you move more current and, and now it's called the humanization of pets. And they figure that 95% of the people that own pets um, consider them the essential part of the family like children. So they're into nutrition and they're into uh, how long a dog lives and how well they look. And so they're looking at diets like Animate because they work so well. Yeah. I mean, I I know some guys that feed their dogs better than their kids, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I want to go down a little bit more comparison to the sled dogs. You know, people listening to this, we're we're bird dog heavy. You know, we have we cover a little bit of everything from your hound dogs all the way up to now your sled dogs a little bit. but they're not 
the listeners aren't sled dog people. So for those that aren't really familiar about the requirements or the endurance that's necessary to compete at a high level in sled dogs, kind of give us a, a brief overview of the the level of just physicality and endurance that these dogs race on year round. Actually, what we do with sled dogs is probably closer uh, to bird dogs than people think. Right. What most people think of sled dogs, they think of the Iditarod, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a thousand mile race across the interior of Alaska, where the average speed is probably five to seven miles an hour. Where what we're doing in our sled dog racing is called sprint mushing. So our average speed is over 20 miles an hour. And depending on how the big the team is, you might be doing a race as short as six miles or one as long as 30 miles. So that's not a lot different. And no. the other thing that's really changed, and we learned this from the Scandinavians, is they started to cross in pointers into their Huskies. So if you look at my dog team that I last, the one I won the North American championship with, it, they look more like pointers than they do like Huskies. And wow. that really started in Norway. The Norwegian army used to use polka sleds. You know, the, they'd ski and then the dog would pull a polka sled and they would use, move ammunition in these polka sleds. And they were using German short hair pointers to pull the sleds. And then somebody had the bright idea to cross them with Huskies. And, and, and so they're actually called Eurohounds, but they're really pointer crosses. And some of the dogs I had were only a quarter pointer, but they looked, most people would think they look certainly more pointer than they do Husky. Right. And so that is very similar when you start breaking it down to a six mile race or a 30 mile race, you know, I've I've had days in the field where, I mean, six miles is done all the time. Uh, I've had a couple days to where, you know, you if you go out and you hit it hard, you know, these dogs, they, they'll cover 30 miles in one day in, in a hunt if, if you hit it hard. So that is very similar in uh, in comparison to the, the sled dogs. So that's kind of the point that I, w- I was hoping to get to was this this doesn't apply to a thousand mile race so somebody listening to this would be like how is how does that help me go hunt birds in montana right yeah exactly exactly i i mean i admire the guys that do the iditarod i just would be bored to death going that slow <laughs> so you never had aspirations for that race huh uh, my friends that would do that would ask me ask me to help them train but you would you, you know you'd be on the back of a sled trotting along for hours after hours I don't know. I have more of an A-type personality. My typical run is over in 30 minutes or 60 minutes, and and uh, they come firing back just as hard as they go out, and, and they're just as crazy. In fact, one of the interesting things about crossing in the pointers is that, and maybe part of it is because I grew up with them, right? Right. They changed the personality. You know, when I had straight Huskies, um, I don't know, you know Huskies, but they can be somewhat primitive. And they don't always listen so well, right? Right. A little stubborn, <laughs> just yeah. a little bit. And so they'll run off or whatever. And when I crossed in the pointer, then I could, I mean, I would literally go training. I would take 25 dogs with me. I would just turn them loose. They'd run to the truck. They'd jump in the truck. I'd drive to where I was going to train, turn them loose, lay out the harnesses. they go where, the, you know, they want to be in the harness. And then you come back and you turn them loose. 
I could never do that with Huskies. I'd still be looking for them. So, so it's like they gained a whole new level of cooperation with you right. by mixing the dogs in. Did you see any any downfall in, in performance, or did they just maintain it and and exceed it even? Well, they they have a tremendous drive. We used to call them point and shoot dogs, right? They would run as hard as they could. They didn't always necessarily have the stamina to go as far as a husky. But they'd run as hard as they could, and oftentimes they wouldn't listen, right? <laughs> so I had a young dog that um, was going to be a great leader, but they have to turn right or left, going full speed at 90 degrees, right? Uh, you'll be going down a trail, and you need to turn right. You give them a command, and they have to turn the whole team right. Well, I had this young dog named Diane. She didn't want to listen, so I remember one time coming to a T intersection, right? I figured she's got a 50% chance of going the right way. <laughs> I had no belief or thought she plowed right straight into the cornfield. She never turned. <laughs> that was an option I didn't even consider. So, so, yeah. so she figured she was going to trust you in telling her to go left or right. And you you thought that you're gonna trust her to go left or right, and she was like, "Well, he's not gonna tell me. I'm just gonna keep going straight." <laughs> no, I gave her a command. Oh, okay. I gave her a command. I figured she had a fifty percent chance of being right. Oh, I got you. I never I got anticipated. But I mean, of course, these are corn stalks that have been cut, so they weren't real high. But she just plowed right. All she wanted to do was run. She just won. She loved running. She didn't care where she went. Right. Yeah. So it was funny that. Uh, <laughs> I never anticipated that that was the option she'd choose. <laughs> well, this this is going to be my last question on sled dogs, and then and then we'll move on to the to the uh, meat and potatoes of this. But talk to me, give me a brief overview. Like, what are you actually training with sled dogs? I mean, obviously the endurance, the conditioning has to be there, but is it more or less that you're you're kind of training the lead dog to to lead and then the other dogs behind them to just keep with the power and the muscle or is there actual a little bit more uh nuance to it that's a really good question you try every dog and lead but the good ones are naturally born leaders right because you have to understand that if you have 10 or 12 dogs think about that's or 16 dogs that's the length of a tractor trailer and those two lead dogs are the ones that are taking the commands. So we always like to think that the lead dogs are your steering wheel. And right behind the lead dogs are called point dogs or swing dogs. They don't have to listen to commands, but they're the ones that really give you the drive. So they're the next two important ones. And then there's a bunch of team dogs. And then right in front of the sled are called wheel dogs. And they're the power dogs that get you maneuver around corners, right? Okay. Well, we would typically race 10 to 12 to unlimited where we could hook 16. Wow. That's that's really interesting. So you don't cycle lead dogs in and out. I mean, like you said, that you, you have them, but you're trying to find the natural leader. And then you pretty much have the hosses in the back, the muscle to uh, to help get you around corners and probably get you going. Right. The interesting thing is uh, the last, when I won the, uh, the race in Fairbanks, I had a pair of brothers, and um, typically with lead dogs, when you're training, you put them back on the team to take the mental pressure off them, right? Just let them be back on the team and enjoy it. You always have training leaders. Well, Vinny and Vito, they would not run anywhere but lead. They had to be in lead. And the other thing is 
they were really uh, uh, excitable, nasty towards everybody. But the only dog that could, they could only tolerate each other, right? <laughs> you put Vinny and Vito on lead, they would be sitting there snapping at each other, growling. But as soon as you said go, they were just a unit. But if you put them with anybody else, they would just intimidate that other dog and that other dog would just lay down. And so we decided that when we retired them, we'd have to retire them as a pair because nobody else could. And, and it was funny in Alaska, right? In the villages, a lot of those people think, wow, you're from Philadelphia. Now all they see are mafia, mob movies, you know, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And in Alaska, they're known as the South Philly boy. <laughs> it's like two brothers that can't get along, but they still right, have exactly. to do everything together. Right. Right. Uh, that's that's awesome. So let me ask you: Do you miss the the bird dogs and the field trial world at all, or even the sled dogs? What do you what kind of dogs are you running now? What are you up to now? Actually, I'm working with Australian cattle dogs. Okay. I don't know if you know them, but um, they're not a dog for everyone. Because I like to tell people that think about them, I say, remember that this is a dog that's genetically developed to bully something forty times its size. So yeah. do you really think that you're gonna and how we got into them was in Alaska. Um, we had friends. One of the problems in Alaska is moose. Mm -hmm. And you got to understand that when we groom a trail, we're making it nice and hard packed. And we trim all the willows back so that you can go down there full speed. We trim the willows in the fall. Well, guess what? You have this growth. Well, moose eat about 40 pounds of willows a day, which works out to about a 55-gallon trash can. So why would a moose wallow through chest deep snow when they can find one of our dog trails walk down this hard pack and just eat the willows on the side yep. so sometimes they wouldn't want to get off the trail so a cattle dog my friends would take out their cattle dog and turn it loose and it would just tear into the moose and start healing them i mean they're called healers because you know border collie um herds by sight mm -hmm. a healer actually bites the cattle in the heels that's why they're called healers. Yep. And so they would just tear after the moose. Finally, the moose got tired of dealing with this little dog, and then they would just stay off the dog trail, right? Mm. So that's how we got a pup from that. And they were great with the sled dogs because if you had sled dog puppies that wouldn't listen, just send the healer out after them. <laughs> <laughs> These puppies would come running back to you with their tail between their, their legs and, you know, call them off, call them off. <laughs> We've always had we've always had healers, and interestingly, uh, the last one we got this puppy we couldn't keep out of the pool, right? And so he has tremendous drive. Like he always wants to bring whatever back to you, right? So if you throw something, he'll bring it back. And uh, he's actually not even my dog; he's my daughter's son-in-law, and they have four little boys. So he's always he needs a job, right? So I started throwing this bumper in the pool and he would just fly off the side of the pool. So I decided that I would enter him in dock diving. And that's what we're doing now. Where he's uh, dock diving and, and winning some events. He's doing. So my goal is to qualify him for a world championship because I'm quite convinced there's probably nobody else on this planet that's qualified for a sled dog world championship and a dog. <laughs> Heck yeah. Well, we might have to revisit you and talk about dog diving uh, next spring or summer or something like that. Uh, uh, so obviously animate. 
you guys focus on nutrition. You focus on supplements for dogs and cats. This isn't just dogs, uh, but that's that's obviously what we're going to focus on here today. You already talked about kind of realigning the the fats, the proteins, and carbs. That that's kind of what started this whole thing. Would you say that those three are, are the three like paramount, the most important things to consider when we're trying to pick out the correct? formula or diet for our dogs the amount of protein fat um carbohydrate moisture some vitamins and minerals some fiber that all has to add up to 100 percent. that's what the diet is right yep so if you're going to go in the three principal things are protein fat and carbohydrate so if you want low carbohydrate it tends to be high protein high fat right so the, that's really how you go about it. And, and um, one of the things that we found in our research was that um, we found that you really needed about 30% metabolizable energy uh, coming from protein, and then a small amount of fat, and then the rest would be um, carbohydrates for feedability. You definitely want more fat in there, because there's twice the amount of calories in a gram of fat as there is in protein or carbohydrate, right? Okay, so you're 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 getting more calor- uh, caloric reward essentially by eating more fat than you are protein. Right, right. And how that works? Well, when your dogs are running, any kind of long-term running is an oxidative process, right? Eighty mm-hmm. percent of the energy burned in the tissues is from fat. They're burning fat in the tissues, right? So, but it's oxidative process. So the fats in the tissue, the proteins in the form of red blood cells are carrying that oxygen to burn that fat. So if you don't have enough protein in the diet, it's not gonna have an, carry enough oxygen to burn the fat. So if you, I hear a lot of people talking about, well, you just wanna add more and more fat. Well, there's diminishing returns because actually what will happen is, You'll get too much fat relative to protein, and then the dogs will actually become stress anemia or sports anemia. So the red blood cell counts will go down. The dogs will look great because they have great coats from all these fats and oils, but they just can't perform. So their endurance is going to go down essentially because the blood can't be delivered to within the muscles. If, if all you're doing is counting on fat and protein to decide on your dog's diet. Yeah. So what happens is you're not, there's the, the fat is available for energy, yeah. but you need the protein in the form of red blood cells to carry the oxygen to burn that fat. Right. We're going to get enough blood. It's just whether or not it's going to have enough oxygen, red blood cell counts. So basically you see the red blood cell count go down. Where the carbohydrates come into effect is carbohydrates, uh, when you first take off, first sprint or you get up you start to sprint up the hill that's the muscle glycogen being burned at that point and so that's a small percentage but a very important percentage right and that's where things like glycocharge come into effect right so it's a way to replenish muscle glycogen and we're we're definitely uh touching on on glycocharge when we get to the supplements as far as the carbs when we talk about if all you do is a high fat diet and Maybe you don't have enough protein in it uh, to where the the blood cells not reaching that, so you're not burning the fat. Does it change based on 
the carb levels that go into it. So like humans, I know we're different than dogs, but humans that, you know, this is essentially kind of getting into the ketogenic diet or low carb versus high carb type thing and what you're actually burning for your energy source to where if you don't get enough carbs, you're then burning fat for your energy source. Is that similar to how it works within dogs as well? Well, to a very small extent. That That's that muscle glycogen that you're talking about that gets burnt initially. Right. And then as you continue to work, it becomes a more oxidative process. And that's where the fat, that's why I say fat's probably about 80% of the energy that's burned in the tissues. And that's, and that's where we want it, right? We don't want it to have to rely on carbs or glycogen levels like eventually we want if they're gonna burn uh, a source for energy we want it to be that fat because you don't want a overweight dog or obese dog well it depends on what you're doing your initial sprint your initial takeoff your sprint or if you get to an uphill and you gotta push uphill that's what depletes the muscle glycogen but if you're just running on a steady pace mile after mile that's burning the fat in what form in your dog food do carbs come? So I know that within your line and animate, you guys have grain free and grain inclusive. Uh, first off, let's start with the grain free versus grain inclusive because that's a that's a issue or not an issue, but a topic in of itself. Give me your your thoughts, your pros and cons on both grain-free and grain-inclusive. Well, the whole idea, um, the grain-free started in about 2008. Uh, if you remember, there was a melamine scare where in China they were putting melamine, adding that to grain. And you need to understand that proteins are basically nitrogen compounds. So they're adding melamine to wheat. Wheat is or corn is about uh, 11% protein. You have this melamine to it. Now the protein tests at 42 or 44. So they're calling it wheat gluten meal or corn gluten meal. And then they ended up, it killed some, it started with cats actually, and then a few dogs. And that's what started this whole scare. So what happened, people got afraid of grains, right? So they started, that's what started the whole grain-free formulas. And and to be honest, I had no intention of doing any grain-freeze because our grain inclusives were so good. But the original grain freezer route were so high in protein, so high in calcium, so high in ash, that I thought, God, if people really want one, let's make one that's healthy. And that's really what all started. So then looking at grains, the whole idea behind grains, you hear people say, well, my dog's allergic to grains. Is it really allergic to grains or is it allergic to the form of the grain? Like if using whole grains, like brown rice, things like that, that are whole grain sorghum. That's one thing. But if you're using refined grains, like rice bran or gluten meals, you're stripping off about 60% of the nutrients, and that can compromise the immune system. So then you can actually, you might be allergic. Is it really allergic to the grain or the fact that you're using refined grains, right? Yep. Now, now you move more recently to this whole, I'm sure you're referring to the dilated cardiomyopathy, right? Right. DC9. Yep. And to be honest, with that, I honestly said, follow the money. Yeah. Right? Follow yeah. the money. Because it's been really purported by the big kibble companies, right? That's who's been pushing it. And there's recently a good study. If you don't have it, I can share it with you where um, I think uh, – Cardiologists examined 66 
or they examined 66,000 DCM cases that were given to them by that they got from cardiologists. And, and what they found is that from, I don't know, 11 year period, um, dilated cardiomyopathy really didn't go up much at all. But grain-free formulas went up in the same period about 900%, right? Okay. So they've really come out with, there's really no link between the two, between dilated cardiomyopathy and grain-free. What really started it was one of the original diets that was out that, um, that got slammed was a diet that was very high in ash, and it happened to be a grain-free. And so it also becomes much lower in protein when it's higher in ash. And, and there's other uh, sulfur-containing amino acids in there like, or, um, like uh, methionine, right? And that gets turned into taurine in the body, right? And so they weren't using any methionine. They weren't adding any taurine. So to be honest, it was just a poorly designed diet and that sort of started it, and they, then they sort of ran with it. And, and that's really interesting, and that's kind of where I was going is, you know, just just like all proteins aren't created equal, not all grains are created equal, correct? And and that's one thing, I mean, before we came on and, you know, I was kind of prepping for this show and everything, uh, I, I looked up the list, you know, the FDA released that list of companies that have had uh, claims or connections, so to speak, to to the enlarged heart issue, and Animate was not on there. So I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, if it's a formula issue, like you said, the source of, I, I don't know, the grain replacement, essentially, in, in the formulas or whatever. I didn't know if that, that really changed how you looked at it, or if it's just, hey, if you do it right, like you should, then it, it shouldn't pose any issues for the heart. Yeah. Well, you need to understand that the principal source of taurine is meat or fish, right? Mm -hmm. And and you can have good quality meat or fish, which tends to be low ash. Ash is the bones and the minerals. So, you know, people say, well, what is ash? You know, when a human dies and they're cremated, they get their ashes back, right? We literally do the same thing with pet foods. When we're done, we, we incinerate it, right? So good quality low low ash meat or fish tends to be um, 62 to 70 percent protein and only 10 or 11 percent ash poor quality meat or fish is high ash it's only 42 to 46 percent protein it could be 24 to 28 percent ash and the problem is think about it then you're not adding that much meat tends to be more in ash and ash will also bind up some of these sources like methionine that could be turned into taurine. It's never been an issue with animate because one of the things we did when we started this company in 1986, we always supplemented with methionine because we knew that methionine's turned into taurine in the body and it was the best way to do it at the time, right? And so our taurine levels, we've watched forever and they've always been good. And um, of course, now you got to add taurine just because it's easier to, for people to see taurine on the ingredient deck than for you to try and explain to everybody what methionine is. That's exactly what I was about to ask. Is this something that, that if somebody really did want to stick with the grain-free, then check the ingredients list and they should see methionine or taurine on the ingredients list? Yeah. I, I mean, if somebody doesn't have taurine listed on their bag, 
I mean, or whatever. They're crazy, right? I yeah. mean, if you're not in it. Because the other thing is there's really been no studies that shown that you could go to really high levels of taurine and cause any issues. So it's um but I think when people start searching pet foods, what they ought to be able to do is call the company or go on their website and look up the nutrient levels, right? Because one of the most important things that I think people need to understand about pet foods, and I don't mean kibble, it could be meat, it could be can, whatever. Dogs don't require ingredients, they require nutrients. And it all depends on, you know, how that's, how they're digestible and things like heat can have a tremendous effect on it, right? You can bind it. Uh, carbohydrates are most digestible to a dog in a cook state. Meats are most digestible, a fish are most digestible in a lower cooked state, right? So um, companies over can overcook it or run it at too high a temperature, all those kind of things that can affect, certainly affect bioavailability. And I think the difference with what we do with Animate is that all of our formulas have been tested on dogs that have been racing in Alaska or living at 30 or 40 below, right? right. So it's like testing gasoline in NASCAR or testing it with some little old lady that only drives to church on a Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, that that's a good comparison. So, getting back to the regular grain inclusive diets, what again, not all grains are created equal. So the ones that are you using the same grain across the board or do you guys have different ones based on the formula and recipe? Yeah, some of them vary from formula to formula, but basically we tend to go uh no corn, wheat or soy. We also like to use some of the ancient grains. We use millet, which is one of the oldest grains known to man and considered one of the least allergenic. We also use some brown rice. We use sorghum, which is another ancient grain. Those kind of things, right? Gotcha. Yeah. And I mean, anybody hunting, especially duck hunters, they know what millet is for sure. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right. So we figure out which recipe we want to do but you know grain free grain inclusive whatever each their own like you said as long as it's coming from a reputable source and and you kind of do your homework and you you understand that the dog's getting all the nutrients that it needs more so than the ingredients list how important is it to match up the correct formula to the dog's activity level. And I, I mean, I know it's important, but I guess what I'm getting at is, should we be cycling dogs on and off different levels of these nutrients, the the fat and the protein? Should we be changing that throughout the year based on the activity level of the dog? Well, one of the things that we found with our studies in graduate school is that when you change a diet, you can still see blood levels changing six months later. Six months. So that's it's a lingering effect <laughs> this idea about waiting till your first day you go hunting and putting them on a good diet doesn't necessarily make the best sense you can you're going to see the optimum use from that diet uh weeks or months down the road so that's really interesting so for those people that there's a lot of people in the hunting community that they'll go hunt and they're they're at that high, higher level of protein fat recipe or formula whichever food or kibble that they feed and as soon as hunting season's over and spring's hitting, they they either change formulas or they decrease the quantity that they're feeding. And you're saying that really the what they're eating today, the dogs could be benefiting from or not benefiting from, depending on how you look at it, six months from today. 
Yeah, I would I would actually think that's probably closer to three months. Okay. You know, three months is probably the so you know, you might want to I would say that uh, the blood visor certainly could change up to three months later. So that's something that you might want to consider as far as amounts. So that's also a good point. You quit hunting your dog and you keep them on that really high protein, high fat diet. They're, they're liable to get fat, right. right? And next year they're gonna look like a tick. So you got one of two choices, either cut them way back, then the problem also becomes, now they're always acting starved, or the other thing is cut them back to a little less protein, a little less fat, so you can feed them more without them getting heavy. And that's really not such a bad thing to do. Okay, so you so you don't really have a vote either way. Either one kind of accomplishes it as long as you're just matching the right food to the energy level that they're portraying at that time. Ideally, if you could keep them on the same formula all year and cut back the amounts, that would be fine. That's that's ideal. Gotcha. So where does we've already talked about grain free and grain inclusive? Uh, you already mentioned a minute ago though uh, raw food. The, mm-hmm. if, if the kibble is correct, if it's if you're getting a high quality kibble in the in the right formula, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You just kind of alluded to the fact that you shouldn't need a raw food, but I'm sure that there's some dogs out there that allergies or what what have you. Maybe there's a reason for them to go on raw food. Kind of give me your overall thoughts on the raw food diet. Right, I'm not anti-raw. I mean, I read I fed raw before raw was niche, right? Before yeah. I started animate, I fed 50 pounds of raw a day. The difficult part is to make sure it's balanced with the proper amount of vitamins and minerals, right? And because one of the things that studies have shown is that if you have the proper levels of vitamins and minerals, your dog's going to live a longer and healthier life. In fact, there was recently a study where they followed 5,000 beagles or 2,000 beagles. They followed them for 15 years. And the only difference in the four diets was vitamin levels. And they went from extra high to low. And they found that after all these years, that the dogs that were on extra high vitamins lived 23% longer than the dogs on on average vitamin levels. They found that the dogs on on extra high vitamins had 29% less veterinary visits than the dogs on average. And they found that the dogs on extra high, I had 32% less likely to have tumors than when they're on when they're on extra high. The scary part is that when they went out and tested pet foods, they found that less than five percent of the pet foods had extra high vitamins. Wow, and that, that's that's what I was about to ask. In that study in the beagles, did the vitamins come strictly from their their food, their diet, or formula, such as kibble, or were they supplemented with powders and stuff like that? No, they, they ran four different diets varying in vitamin levels. So I was anxious to take that data back to my office and lay our numbers out. And and uh, we're extra high in everything, except the one thing I disagreed with was they were higher on vitamin D. And I wouldn't go that high in vitamin D because if you go too high in vitamin D, it increases the calcium absorption into the blood. We already have too much calcium in these diets now, right? Mm. I wouldn't go that high. That that's that was my next question. Besides vitamin D, are there other vitamins or minerals that we should be hesitant to, quote unquote, just increase the levels of? You know, can we go too high on different vitamins? Yeah, certainly you can. I mean, and 
one of the rules of thumb is that if it's a fat-soluble vitamin, it's going to be stored in the body. If it's a water-soluble vitamin, like vitamin C, it's going to be passed in the urine, right? And so you've got to be careful. And even with minerals, especially with minerals, sort of like plant in the garden. You don't want to put too much of one thing in the garden because it'll inhibit the absorption of something else, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you put too much zinc in a diet, you can develop a calcium deficiency in the diet or vice versa. Yeah. And what what's the best way to gauge all this? You know, it's like, okay, I'm Joe Schmo and I just went, I, you know, I, I got a, a bag of dog food that, you know, fits into my budget. I'm trying to take care of my dog and everything, but how can me as a home, as a pet owner, how can I ensure that they're getting an appropriate level of vitamins and minerals? Is the only way to do that going to your vet and getting some blood drawn? Uh, well, one of the things you can do is flip the bag over and it should have an AFCO statement. AFCO, A-A-F-C-O, capital letters. And they'll say this product is fit for adult dogs or this product is approved for puppies. If it's got that statement on there, you'll at least be guaranteed it'll have the minimum amounts of vitamins and minerals as required by APCO. If it doesn't have that, that would be a concern. The other thing is um, don't hesitate to reach out to the companies and ask them questions, right? One of the things that we do on a routine basis is that we send our products out for independent lab analysis. And then you can go to our website and look up any product and it's gonna have the average um, lab analysis or nutrients, we're required to put on the label, There's, it's called the guaranteed analysis, right? Mm -hmm. But the problem is they usually only list min or max, right? So minimum amount of protein or minimum amount of fat. Well, how much is actually in there? That doesn't really tell you much. Right. Especially if you have a dog that's, you're worried about being overweight, finding out the minimum amount of fat isn't as important as find out the maximum amount of fat, right? Exactly. So, you know, what we do is try and educate people and put it as an average lab analysis on the bag. But I think that you should be able to call the company and reach out to them and ask them. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we're starting to see in the pet industry is transparency. That's, I mean, the transparency is huge. It seems like everybody, or not everybody, but the majority of these companies are starting to figure out that, People care about their dogs or their pets, you know, go figure. Uh, but it seems like they're putting a little more emphasis in providing information. Uh, my question is how accurate is that information? Like you just alluded to, the minimum versus max. You know, it's not as simple as just drawing a median right down the line and saying that's where we're at. It's... Uh, you just mentioned the AFCO statement. Is there is AFCO or is there an organization that that really polices the accuracy of these labels and, and makes sure that these these dog food companies are putting what's actually in the bag? They're actually notating that. Yeah, that that's one of the difficult things about the pet industry, is that we're we're actually it goes state by state, right? And every state has a feed control regulator that when you register, like for us to, what state are you in? I'm in Tennessee. When you, you know, we have to register in Tennessee to sell our food. And then we send our labels down to Tennessee to the feed control official. And she goes over it and, or he, 
and determines if everything in that label is first off allowed in the pet industry. And then what typically happens in states is that they'll go out and they'll take samples of their product and then they'll send it out to have it tested. And if you say that you have a minimum of this in it, there better be, or you'll get uh, a fine or a stop sale. And I mean, we just got, uh, Montana just came back, um, tested a whole bunch of our products, right? So it goes state by state. Interesting. But if I was making human food, it's national. Yeah. And that's what I was kind of about to ask is the federal versus state level. How, how does how does it work when, say, you're on Chewy uh, or some Internet-based company? Can I still buy a food that's not approved in my state from online and they ship it to me, though? Well, Chewy reaches out to us. Okay. And, and those states and say, uh, I see you're on Chewy. You have to register in our state, or you're going to have to put on 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 the Chewy banner. Not available in these states. Okay, so it is regulated, even if it's uh, just through the internet. Okay, that makes now, sense. Now, having said that, having said that, you're talking one person, right? Right. Yeah. So they're not always going to get around to testing every product, and you know. Um, and the other interesting thing is the rule says open to the interpretation of the feed control official. So I'm <laughs> sending out a label, 29 states approved it. The 30th state rejected it, said, you can't say this. We changed it for that. And then some of the other states, uh, they said it wasn't. It's like, oh my God, it's just, it's it's a nightmare. It's, it's uh, crazy how you have to do this. And The bureaucratic red tape, uh, you gotta yeah, love right? it. Yeah, well, so let's get back to the the raw food piece because we kind of uh, took a detour on that and started talking about you know high in vitamins and stuff like that. What what are the key elements in somebody wants to do a, a raw food diet? And, and I'm asking you because I saw on your website in the supplements you guys actually have a supplement to help balance this, I guess, uh, called Enhance for the raw food diet. You know, it, if somebody how difficult is it to actually do the correct balanced raw food meal on a daily basis, day in, day out? Well, the point is, when when we started this company and we were going to do the vitamins and minerals, I'm a companion animal nutritionist. I brought in a board-certified veterinary nutritionist. We also brought in a guy with a PhD in vitamins. And the three of us spent two or three weeks hammering out what we are going to put together for a vitamin and mineral package. It's beyond my comprehension that somebody says, well, I can do it on my own. Right? <laughs> and part of, the <laughs> yeah, part of the reason we did Enhance was I'm fortunate enough to give lectures all around the world, right? And inevitably, after I'm done talking, someone will come up to me and say, I don't use commercial food. I make my own. And I say, what do you do for vitamins and minerals? And they get this blank look on their face, right? And they, it's almost like, oh my God, I didn't think of that. So we actually, that's why we did Enhance. We actually rolled it out at a veterinary convention and the vets, veterinarians really loved it because inevitably somebody that's making home prepared food will then go to their vet and say, I need you to help me balance it. Well, I'm sure I don't need to tell you this, 
but there's less than 50% of the teaching veterinary schools in this country have a core nutrition course. I mean, think about it. Most vets, they're trying to learn small animal, large animal surgery, all this other stuff. Where, when do they have time to learn about nutrition? You don't go to your human doctor for nutritional advice. Why should you think that you should go to your veterinarian? That's a, that's exactly what I was about to say is the human doctors don't even know nutrition for ourselves. The vets definitely don't know it for every single animal that can come through that door. And part of the reason we wanted to do the enhance is that studies have shown that 60% of the people that are making their own diets are deficient in at least one nutrient, right? And so um, I'm amazed how we've, that product's only been out for two years. Uh, last month, it was our number two selling skew by item. Interesting. It's unbelievable how it goes. And because the other thing is, so it works great for home prepared diets. It works great for raw diets that aren't complete and balanced, right? Because a lot of them aren't. And then even some of the raw diets that are complete and balanced really have minimal amounts of vitamins and minerals. We've already seen how important those is those are. So supplementing, say, a half a dose in hands will help further balance it. So it's really a win-win situation. So, so that supplement obviously has a purpose. It balances the raw food diet or at least gives a, gives a, a good baseline. I'm assuming, is it just a powder? You just mix it in with the, with the bowl of food? Yeah. Yeah, so it's really designed for people that are doing home prepared. Yeah. And, and that is really a growing segment of the market. You're right. Now, there's a lot of raw foods out that are considered complete and balanced. That's not the market we're after. We're after the raw diets that aren't complete and balanced that people are using, and also the people that are, are doing their own formulas at home. And the Enhance is actually, I don't know if you take vitamins and minerals, but they can be rather bitter. So one of the things we've really worked on is making this very palatable. So like the calcium in there is actually extracted from seaweed and we use all organic minerals as opposed to inorganic that give you that metal taste. So, um, you know, it's, it's really worked out very well. Uh, to, to be honest, it's worked out better than we ever did. Because at the end of the day, it can be the best product in the world, but if your dog won't eat it, then uh, you're just climbing uphill there. Right, yeah. right. I mean. So it, let, you have other options and supplements. I, I, I want to go down those uh, down that path, but first, you know, you never it never fails. Whether you're talking human supplements, dog supplements, whatever, you, you know, everybody really asks: Are supplements really necessary? If you're eating a, the the diet that you're supposed to, do you really need supplements, or is this something that we're spending money on and we're taking just to you know? just for to pee it out essentially right right i really think it depends on the product you're feeding and what you're doing with your dog one supplement that i think everybody should have if you have any kind of sporting dog should be on some sort of joint supplement yeah right and and um we found with our sled dogs that we had less injuries during the season when they're on a joint supplement and they lasted longer at the end of their careers Right. So think how handy it would be if your bird dog could hunt till he's 11 instead of eight or nine, right? Or 12 or whatever. In fact, I remember being in a retailer one time and I said to the woman that owned it, I said, you know, the problem with dogs is by the time you get them perfectly trained, 
you're usually too old to do what you want. And without missing a beat, she said, just like men. <laughs> <laughs> Which I really didn't know what to say at that point. Uh, but the point is, the point is a joint supplement. And interestingly, uh, used to be thought for just old dogs, right? And now all current research indicates that if you start them at a younger age, you're going to have less problems when they get old. So and the other interesting thing is joint supplements like chondroitin actually didn't start as joint supplements. The whole industry started in the 50s in Australia, and they actually thought chondroitin would work for people with heart conditions, right? So they fed these people with heart conditions as chondroitin. After so many months, they went back and they tested them, and they found their hearts weren't any better, but they're all moving around easier. <laughs> My knees are feeling a little better today. My heart still feels like crap, but my knees and hips are good. <laughs> so so uh, I can't tell you how I think that's critically important, right? Yeah. A joint supplemented. We make one called Endure, and we also add things to it like vitamin C, which is considered the anti-stress vitamin. Vitamin C is also water-soluble, so they tend to urinate it out if it's not like a fat-soluble to build in. But the other thing that's so important is we add psyllium to that. It's a soluble fiber that helps strengthen gut villi. And so what that does is that it uh, slows the gut down that's moving too fast or speeds a gut up that's going too slow. And what we were seeing is when we would travel to Alaska, it's a 4,200 mile drive each way. And uh, when we would get to Alaska, our yearlings that had never been out of Pennsylvania, now you have dog teams flying in from all around the world. It's sort of like when your kids go to school, right? They pick up every virus and bug. So our yearlings were always getting sick. By using the psyllium to help strengthen the gut villi, they didn't break with those digestive upsets as easily. And, and so it sounds like everything else, you know, hitting it on the on the right time. So what you just said, prevention is just as important as waiting until there's an issue and, and trying to rehab, I guess uh, there's a better word for it. But essentially, if you wait until your dog starts showing joint issues, then it may not. It's already getting too late. It's already getting too late. And so if, if you I mean, start. It'll help. It'll definitely help. Yeah. But you could have eliminated that in the first place. Wouldn't you rather have done that? Yeah, just just like everything else in life, right? That's what I was kind of getting at. And and so another supplement that you guys carry is called the Impact. And for more or less, you know, after kind of looking into it and reading it, uh, it, it just kind of read like a dog protein shake. Is that a fair way of putting it? Yeah, high protein, high fat. In fact, when I say that when we were racing dogs, I didn't feed any meat. The impact became the meat supplement, right? Because it's high protein, high fat, still has some vitamins and minerals in it. It's a way to increase caloric density without adding more volume. Okay. So you dissolve it in water. We would actually give it to them as a baited broth in the morning and then um, at night with their meal. One of the things you need to understand is that I, you know, I don't want to get into the whole heat stress. That's a whole nother two-hour lecture, but um, if if you're going to feed your dog in the morning and then work them hard, some of the blood that could go to the extremities to aid in heat dissipation now gets channeled towards the gut to aid in digestion. And the other thing is if you put a lot of food in that intestine as the dog's running, it's slapping against the walls. That's oftentimes why you get some of those bloody stools 
during exercise. The advantage of the impact is there's really no dry matter. It dissolves into water, dissolves in water, and they drink it. And that's that's exactly where I was going with this. Is you get a lot of people that feed their dogs in the morning. Well, when it's it's time to go hunt, they'll still feed their dogs in the morning. And then not only do you have that that hard kibble in the stomach hitting it, and that's where the blood in the stool comes from, but also that's where you can get that upside down stomach and and cause some really death in dogs. You know, it, it can be more severe for others. But this sounds like this is kind of a solution to where if your dog's used to eating first thing in the morning, you can kind of give this broth, like you called it, to the dog, and you don't have to worry about those negative impacts while actually out in the, on the hunt. Yeah, I, uh, people are surprised about this, but most sled dog people only feed once a day. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Dogs evolved from wolves. Wolves didn't eat every day. They ate every three to five days, and they had to chase down and kill their prey. Now we're not only feeding them every day, we're feeding them multiple times a day, mm-hmm. right? And, and um, I think if you're going to work your dog, feeding them before you work them is not a good thing. It's just, it's it's counterproductive. And the other thing is, let's face it, um, they don't really need it. You know, they've done studies where uh, over time, the stamina, they're still utilizing fat, which the body has plenty of. So it'd be fine not feeding them before you run them. Yeah. And I mean, it's just like us, you know, I think they've, they've done studies in humans. I can't cite any sources or anything like that, but we just hunt better when we're hungry. And I'm sure that that there's going to be something to be said for, for dogs in that, that as well. I could be completely off base here, but one thing. uh, No, let me interrupt you. They've actually done studies where you increase stamina by that, right? They become more efficient fat metabolizers. So they actually have done studies where they starved them for so many days and they found they became more efficient. So not feeding them in the morning is not the worst thing. Yeah, no, makes sense. Uh, I guess the only supplement that I, that I saw that we need to touch on, this is one that I actually tried a couple seasons ago, uh, is the glycocharge. And so I, I'm really interested in this because if, if anybody's listening to this and they want to try, I mean, right now, hunting season has started everybody's getting up and going the dogs are off the couches they're they're covering a lot of miles they're more active now right now this time of year than they have been all year right so to me the glycocharge this might be a very good entrance into the supplement world uh if you if you wanted to try it because it's it's essentially just recovery you go hunt, you go work, whatever, and then within 30 minutes, you give this to your dog and it's water, and it's just, it's kind of like Gatorade almost, and it, and it recharges that glycogen level. And I've used it, and, you know, it could have been the placebo effect. I, I was looking for it. I don't know, but it seemed like the dogs definitely did recover and lasted the full week better than in years past or other trips to where kind of at the end of the week, they're, they're starting to burn out a little bit. Well, I mean, first off, it was proven in the lab years ago by colleagues of mine at Cornell, and it's certainly been proven all throughout the dog world. The bottom line is you're depleting muscle glycogen. Mother Nature is going to replenish that over time. But if you're doing back-to-back events, like if you're going out to the Dakotas and you're going to hunt for a week, that dog's going to be glycogen depleted. And how do you see that? They're just more worn out. They're tired, and they don't have the energy. 
if if you give them a glyco um, um, glyco charge within thirty, like you said, thirty minutes of, of post exercise, by the next day they're going to be ninety nine percent of their muscle glycogen restored. So it's critically important to do it, and it's critically important to do it immediately post exercise. It's also important don't mix it with a bunch of fat because anytime you add fat, that's going to slow down the whole production and um, if you do it more than two hours post exercise, you might as well just throw it away. You're, you know, you're not going to get anything from it. So it's post exercise, and and um, we actually have a recipe on our website where you can make it into ice cubes. I saw that. Yeah. Yep. And um, it's really, it's been an amazing product. We've had so many guys with bird dogs that have told us. One guy told us that. Um, he now guides out and hunts out in Montana or Dakotas. He now takes half the dogs he used to have to take because he can essentially recharge them. And I remember early on, uh, we actually had glycocharge hats. And a guy was loving the glycocharge, and I asked him if he wanted a hat. He said, a hat? Are you kidding me, Rob? I don't even take the glycocharge in your container because <laughs> I don't want anybody to know it. He was doing these... Um, and I, I'm not as familiar with them, but uh, single elimination, hour hunts, and then by the end of the week, it's championship round. And he said virtually half the dogs can't even make the championship round because they're so worn out. He said, my dog was so crazy, after an hour, we couldn't hardly catch it, right? So he actually asked me about going to a lower dose if, if need be. So it's one product that's been proven so well in the lab and I have so many, you know, if you want to see papers, I can send you the papers. But the most exciting thing is we've been working on for uh, about six years now, a soft chew version. Okay. Because what happens is it's, it's not always convenient to dissolve it in water out in the field. And wouldn't it be handy to just give them a soft chew, right? Yes. Ultimately, that that was not the challenge, but it, it was this one extra thing to do at the truck and you know if you're right. swapping dogs in and out it right. you know it doesn't take long but it's still let's get water let's get a bowl let's give it yep. to them and it, you know it, it was extra steps uh but it, it's real interesting like you said that the, the guy was using it as a competitive advantage in his trialing system you know he he's the reason why the olympic committee has to you know drug test their their athletes and you know the dogs on the juice but it, it's one of those things like again when when I gave it to both my dogs, I one dog in particular, Rachel, my short hair, she was probably six six or so uh, this season. She, whenever I take her hunting, about halfway through the week, she starts prioritizing sleep over eating. So, it, I mean, it, it never fails. Halfway through the week, it's hard to get her to wake up to eat in the kennel. It's just that's who who she is. The only trip that I've had her on that I've not had that issue was when I was in Minnesota and I had a jug of the glyco charge and she she just ate like normal and and I didn't have to worry about her sleeping too much and not eating you know whatever uh Lucy my other dog she was right at a year year and a half old she was a puppy I couldn't really tell that big of a difference in her probably that little puppy energy or whatever you know they're, they're all a little crazy when they're at that age but I did notice in my, you know, middle-aged dog a couple of years ago, there was something different about her on that trip. And, and so, you know, studies and everything show it. I saw it with my own two eyes with her 
Uh, didn't notice any really difference in, in the puppy, though. Yeah, because she is a puppy. They have unlimited energy. But <laughs> right. you could describe it as exactly the scenario. Dog comes back, it's too tired to eat. If it's given glycocharge, it has more energy. In fact, there's a guy that won um, one of the uh, long-distance races in Alaska, and he told me that he thought that the reason he was able to win it was when he would come into the checkpoint, the dogs were too tired to eat. He'd give them glycocharge 20 minutes before they got into the checkpoint. When they got in the checkpoint, they still had enough energy to eat, and he could continue on. Nice. Whereas before, they just didn't do that. So now with this soft chew, the whole idea is that we've been working on this for six years. And the first batch was so taffy-like that when a dog would bite into it, couldn't hardly open its mouth. <laughs> My son who works for us said, Dad, we could probably sell these as muzzles. <laughs> and then the next batch was so brittle that there were shards. You were worried about choking them, right? Choking them. And then the next was so soft it came to me. They send me 26 pieces that came to me as one glob. Oh, so now, wow. now we finally got it just right. And on the packaging, it's going to be listed for light exercise, moderate exercise or heavy, and then it goes by weight. So each gram or each uh, soft chew is 10 grams. The other advantage is if you have a dog that's wearing out during the day, you know, you like to give them a little boost during the day, these can work for that because the difference is People talk about giving honey or sugar, but you're going to get an insulin spike. The the ingredient in this is a glucose polymer that you won't get the you won't get the insulin spike, right? So um, they can just keep moving and and uh, so you can give them a boost during the day and then at the end give them um, the soft juice. I will say that making it into this form is going to make it more expensive than the glycocharge. So some people might yeah. It's going to be a little more work, but it's going to be worth the saving the money. So really it becomes a personal preference. I think the people are going to end up using both. Right. So when will those be available? Are they available now? I didn't see them on the no, site they're, today. No, they're not available now. Probably towards the end of the year. I was okay. hoping right for this hunting season. But, you know, Animate does things a little different. Uh, we don't release anything till we're done with it. Like, for example... If you do an AFCO feeding trial, you only have to do eight dogs and only six of them have to pass. How crazy is that? That's and a very work- small sample size. Right? And and um, you only have four blood tests. You have red blood cell, white blood cell, liver function, kidney function. For example, the last two AFCO feeding trials we did, we did over 80 dogs and we measured over 50 blood parameters, right? So when we release a product, we're confident, and that's why it's taken us so long to do the soft twos. In fact, our original two formulas, um, we have done uh, the feeding trials for that lasted 30 years on eight generations of dogs. We were doing feeding trials before there were feeding trials. (laughs) It's just what we do, right? We're testing blood values. We have drawers of blood values from these dogs and weighing them and well, you, you, you're just trying to figure out what you're doing. Does it actually work or not? You know, you don't want to be wasting all your time and energy and efforts doing stuff that at the end of the day, you can't prove does anything. Yeah, that's the other thing I would suggest to your audience. Decide on what weight your dog works best at and keep them at that weight and weigh them, weigh them regularly. We used to, uh, on my dog truck, which was a big Dooley GMC Duramax, um, I had a pipe 
um, that I could slide out. And I used the scale that we actually hang deer on and I would weigh them. And I, cause some dogs run a little better heavier. Some dogs run a little better lighter. You can do it with a bathroom scale, but once you determine what it's like, cause it's really easy to not be aware of your dog gaining a couple pounds here, a couple pounds there. And then the performance isn't just right. Well, that, and I think a lot of people fail to realize we're not talking about, you know, that the average guy being 200 pounds or whatever, you know, one or two pounds isn't that big of a deal. But when you're talking about the max weight of a dog being 35 pounds or 50 pounds, losing just two or three pounds, that's a big percentage of their body weight. And that, that can have some drastic impacts throughout an entire hunting season, let alone just the week of a, a of a hard hunt, right? Right. Exactly. So, exactly. Well, Rob, what are we missing? Because if we just covered a lot of ground, I mean, like you said, we could probably continue on for three or four more days, depending on which rabbit hole we go down on this. But what are we missing for the average everyday person? Because, you know, I, I always text certain people. I, I like to get some listeners feedback or questions, so to speak, like, hey, what would you mind or what would you want to hear in this episode? And whenever nutrition or supplements comes up, you always have the same friends, not the same friend, but friends saying the same thing. They're always curious of nutrition. Like you just said, y'all have studied this for generations at a time. You guys have science to back it up. But at the end of the day, you're still going to have that good old boy that's like, hey, my dog growing up was 15 years old and it ate nothing but boiled potatoes for 15 years. Right, right. You know, it, what do we say to those people? They're like, hey, how did that dog hunt that hard for that long? And fast forward to today, we have to have all these these kibbles and supplements to match that. Right. Well, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, there's always going to be genetic outliers, right? Mm -hmm. And, and um, you know, I mean, but... Also, what are those dogs eating other than the boiled potatoes? Are they <laughs> eating a rabbit out there? But I guess the bottom line comes down to an optimal working diet should be about 30% metabolizable energy, right? So that isn't what's read on the bag. That's actually the calories available, um, you know, is available energy after loss from feces and urine and combustible gases, right? And then you want only probably about 15% carbohydrates on a metabolizable energy basis and and fat will provide 55% of the calories on a metabolizable energy for stamina. And, but that's not how you're going to read it on a label, right? So if you're looking at a label, a product that's listing 32 protein, 20% fat will provide 30% of the protein from a metabolizable energy basis. Even one that's 26 protein, 16% fat still provides 30% protein on a metabolizable energy basis. The one thing that I would caution you about is that if you see a product that's reading about equal protein and fat, that's almost too high a fat. Um, it's going to really negate the protein on a metabolizable energy basis. So you want a ratio. You got to look for that ratio. So, so you definitely have to have the separation. You can't just have like 30-30 protein and fat. Yeah. I mean, I've seen diets out there and some people say they work. I'm I'm not sure how, but the biggest thing what I'm talking about here is that each gram of fat provides twice the amount of calories as does a gram of protein or a gram of carbohydrate. And I hear people tell say all the time, well, dogs can't um can't digest carbohydrates. Well, you gotta remember, 
that the dog was the first animal ever domesticated by humans. And it was domesticated before they domesticated crops or they domesticated horse it's back or, or cattle. It was back in the Paleolithic era. And your ability to break down starch in your body or carbohydrates is called the amylase gene, right? And as we evolve as a species, one of the ways we do it is duplicate genes, right? And so they've recently done a study in Sweden where they compared the uh, genes of dogs, various breeds versus wolves. And they found that currently dogs have about seven times the amount of amylase genes that does a wolf. So the dog has evolved to be able to break down carbohydrates. I mean, we see this in animals all the time. There's recently, a, you know, a bird a rookery, right? And they found that the birds, uh, there was next to a highway, over the years have evolved into a smaller, finer bone bird to avoid getting hit by car. Compared to 40 years ago, these birds were bigger, heavier bone, and they were always getting smacked and they just evolved. I mean, we all evolve as a species. And you're talking to hunters and 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 dog owners at, at that bird hunter. So every year, these tailgate biologists talk about how the birds are running more than they did in years past. So they'll acknowledge that birds evolve, but not dogs. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> really good point. Yeah. That's a Good point. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rob, I, I really appreciate this. We covered a lot of ground on this, and yeah. uh, and we'll definitely have to have you back on and kind of go a little bit deeper in some of these these topics and conversations. But again, let everybody know where they can find you, uh, your website, social media, anything like that, any kind of special deals you have coming on, like uh, the the soluble glyco charge or the the chewable glyco charge, anything else like that coming out. Well, we're working on a lean cat food. We have a lean dog food. Now we need, you know, obesity is the number one problem in cats and dogs, just like humans. And so that's the next project. And we just released a sensitive skin and stomach uh, for dogs because we're starting to see more of that issue. So um, Animate is uh, named after my mom. Her name was Anime. So it's uh, that with a T. So www.animate.com. You can Google us and and also, don't hesitate to reach out to us. One of the things we're most proud about is you can call our office and somebody actually answers the phone. That's nice. That's a nice perk. <laughs> Not, novel idea. And uh, so we can provide some information. So Fantastic. Well, Rob, we'll definitely have you back on. Uh, thanks for joining us and making time for us. Thanks. I'm honored to do it. And you have a good evening. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Rob of Animate. Uh, I really enjoy doing the regular check-in on on food nutrition and supplements and stuff like that because it's always a good reminder, especially as the seasons change. You know, we go from hunting season to training season, training season back to hunting season. You know, a lot of people take some time off. And, and so with every change and the difference in output levels and how much work is done and all that uh, – 
the the level of food and quality of food can you know that that's necessary or needed by the dog can change throughout the year. So I always try and uh, just kind of talk about this stuff with uh, more knowledgeable people, such as Rob, to kind of give myself a reminder to to check in on it and focus in on it because it is important. Uh, you know everything from just the recovery mainly you know i we recently just got back from montana and one thing that i noticed uh with rachel specifically is uh she's getting old and so she's still hunting as hard as ever she's uh still going as long as she does but her recovery time is getting longer and longer and longer i noticed just this first trip this year uh again she's hunting as hard as ever but it seemed like she needed a little bit more rest in between runs and uh she's not that old i mean she's just nine uh you know every year she's been kind of losing a little bit of a step but that's that's more so why it's more important than ever especially with her is make sure that she gets the nutrition that she needs and if i need to start adding supplements to her you know that's something that i'm really going to start paying attention to and, and talking to guys like rob and and uh companies such as animate and their, their high quality supplements and all that stuff. It just kind of all wraps up into the same burrito there, and and it's it's always something good for us to check in on and and uh, focus on because you know we get we need to do it for ourselves, let alone our dogs, because we expect them to hunt hard all season long. Well, you know that can be a grind, especially if you get after it a lot. Uh, you know, maybe not so much if you if you're kind of a weekend warrior. Uh, maybe it's not as uh, evident or prevalent, uh, but I, I assure you, it's not like you're gonna regret giving your dog better nutrition or supplements if uh, if it just kind of fits into your budget and and what the dog needs. But uh, it's it's kind of interesting with me noticing Rachel's. Uh, Longer than normal recovery time in Montana. It was kind of uh, serendipitous almost that I w- I lined up and got a puppy on the way back because it's like just that that cycle that routine. That's kind of why I space it out a lot. You know, a lot of people ask me what's what's the correct amount of time in between dogs. You know, should I get a second puppy or third puppy? And and you know, we just got one or litter mates or something like that. Me personally, that's that's all I can speak to is. Personally, I look at it as I like a three to four, maybe even five year rotation. And then that way, while you have one dog like Rachel, who's been the anchor for many years for me, uh, she's getting older. She's starting to to time out a little bit. You know, she still has a few more hunting season, knock on wood, but it's it, she just can't go as hard or as long as she once could just a few years ago. So Right behind her, I have Lucy that's, you know, four years behind her. She's kind of coming into her prime. So, you know, as as Rachel kind of uh, not not tapers out, but just uh, she's just getting older and, and she's timing out, Lucy's going to hopefully pick up that workload. And then after four years of her, I have the puppy in the beginner stage. So it's like if you keep that three, four, five-year rotation in between dogs, you kind of always have that one dog in the in the area that you need it to whether it's like super experienced in their prime or just starting it's like you kind of have one in each uh development stage and of course if you have if you have the capability of having you know a whole string of dogs if you got 10 plus dogs or something you know maybe it's, it's not that big of a thing to uh to worry about or consider but for those average handlers such as myself and diy people to where 
you know, we, we just enjoy hunting or, or testing dogs or whatever. And, you know, we're only going to have a, you know, two, maybe three dogs in the house. I like spacing them out. And then that way you don't, ha- you're not losing both dogs or three dogs all at once because you kind of got them in the same year or two. Uh, it just kind of spaces it out. But um, anyway, we've talked about that a number of times on this before, but it just, it's kind of ironic that when I really noticed Rachel's, uh, stamina going down or, or at least the recovery time, uh, I have that young pup and, and it's been a lot of fun. We've gotten home, had her for a little, I don't know, week, week and a half, something like that. She's, she's just getting used to the routine. You know, I've already, I'm already getting a lot of people. What are you doing with the puppy? What are you doing with the puppy? Uh, a whole lot of nothing right now. I'm just getting it used to the routine, get it crate trained, get it potty trained. And when I say train, like crate train, like I'm not doing full on training sessions. I'm just kind of trying to expose the dog and get it into a normal environment. You know, I'm already having the dog wait on its food bowl. I'm, I'm having the puppy wait to go through uh, the entry door and exit doors. And then uh, the crate, you know, just get it used to it. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing full blown training sessions with the puppy. You know, that's that's going to start over probably w- within the next week or two, and it's very light, very short, very quick training sessions, and more or less, it's just kind of trying to bring out that natural instinct from the puppy. Uh, you know, I'm, it's an English setter. I had a bunch of people after last week's outro when I, I mentioned I got a puppy. Apparently, I failed to say which breed it was. So I had a number of people reach out like, what was it? Uh, it's an English setter. And so I think everybody kind of knows on average what you're getting with uh, English setters. I mean, there's there's a million different types of English setters and lines out there. But, but uh, I'm really kind of focusing in on just getting her used to our everyday routine And I'm putting a lot of emphasis on retrieve drive, just fun retrieve, just keep it short, you know, balled up socks down the hallway type thing, which uh, we will be doing, you know, short little videos and clips of and throwing up on on Patreon and stuff like that. You know, we've been saying for a while that we're we're focusing in on Patreon and and guys, it's true. It's uh, the videos are about to really start coming in. Um, How often we have something coming out, you know, we don't know, but we're just we're trying to shift uh, not shift focus, but just add a focus into uh, the Patreon and making that a little more valuable to the people that subscribe to that because without the Patreon patrons, we would have no show. Especially, we would not be growing like we are. We would not be able to uh, focus on creating bigger, better, more interesting content, stuff like that. So, uh, again, thanks to all patrons. If you haven't looked at it or if you uh, want to consider it, Please go to www.patreon.com forward slash gundog yourself. Consider signing up. Uh, you know, think of it as just buying me a beer for a month. You know, if you like the show, you get any kind of value or anything out of it that's helped you out or you appreciate or it's just entertaining for you. You know, consider just throwing five bucks our way. Uh, you know, we have a lot of stuff coming out for Patreon and I'm excited to kind of hear feedback. And if there's anything particular that you guys want to see or hear, or whatever, don't hesitate to let me know. Reach out, you know, whether that's through social or through Patreon messaging uh, directly. Just shoot me a message and let me know. And with that being said, I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. Again, thanks for everybody tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. There was a lot of good information with uh, Rob at Animate. The link to their website is in the show notes, so go check that out if you want to look them up. Uh, their supplements, I can... Uh, 
speak to firsthand. I've used them uh, a little bit over the years. I have not tried their dog food personally, but uh, I've talked to a few people that have and, and hear only good things. And so that, that might be something on the horizon for us to try. But again, thanks for joining us. Share the episodes with a friend. Uh, follow us on social media, all that good stuff. And uh, we'll check back next week, guys. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high grade lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream up. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukonuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.